Subscribe with iTunes, Audio Boom, Stitcher, or your favorite podcasting app. And if you enjoy what you hear, like us on Facebook. Also, consider throwing a little cash our way by visiting patreon.com slash koreafm. And find more of our great content on our home on the web, koreafm.net. Earlier this week, veteran journalists who covered the 1980 Gwangju uprising gathered in South Korea to commemorate the anniversary of the event. Three foreign journalists who participated also spoke at an open forum here in the capital at the Seoul Foreign Correspondents Club to discuss their activities this week in Gwangju and some of their memories of covering the May 18th Democratic Uprising. My name is Alastair Gale and I'm with the Wall Street Journal and also the Secretary General for the Seoul Foreign Correspondents Club. I thought it would be a good opportunity to hear from these gentlemen who were covering the event 36 years ago about their experiences uh, and about how they did their jobs. To my immediate right is uh, Bradley Martin. He began reporting on Korea in 1977 uh, and has had bureau chief and other positions in Asia. And probably many of you know him as the author of one of the must-read books uh, on Korea, specifically on North Korea, under the loving care of the father leader, North Korea and the Kim dynasty. And I should say that uh, Bradley was reporting from Gwangju for the Baltimore Sun. The current mayor of Gwangju in 1997 was the head of an NGO, and he arranged uh, a reunion of foreign correspondents who had covered the Gwangju uprising at that point. And somehow he got an idea that he would repeat this and see who was still available. Uh, very few of us were. Uh, I have to tell you that some people just were flat out too old to, to go down there. Uh, to his right and your left is uh, Don Kirk, uh, who I think most people, people in this room probably know. Um, and Don has reported all over Asia, uh, but with a particular focus on Korea. Uh, and he first came to Seoul in 1972. And Don was reporting for a number of publications, but uh, primarily The Observer from the UK. Partly, I think we were supposed to be kind of cheering them on. I think that uh, we were sort of an echo chamber for their for their proud uh, history of, uh, of survival from the Guangzhou days and from their and uh, sort of they're in support of their uh, sense of. Uh, festering resentment against the uh, central government. Certainly there was a lot of that that we encountered in Guangzhou. At the same time, we were treated ter terribly courteously. Uh, we were taken everywhere, uh, to the ceremony uh, at the cemetery, and then to uh, sort of an anti-celebration, that is a celebration of Guangzhou people, uh, opposite the old provincial governor's <coughs> building, the old provincial building, where I had last been in uh, 1980, in those days in 1980. This was that was the headquarters of the revolt. They preserved the building as a uh, memorial to the revolt. The final member of the panel began by discussing the memories the three share of covering the uprising in 1980 after traveling to Guangzhou from Seoul. To my far right uh, is Norm Thorpe, who was the first Western reporter to be a staff reporter based in uh, Korea. And Norm opened the Asian Wall Street Journal office here in Seoul uh, in 1978 and has spent uh, more than 10 years in uh, Korea. Maybe you could uh, take us back there and uh, tell us about you know, where you were when you got 
word of, of that there was something happening, how you responded to it, and how you got your reporting started on, on the story. I saw some pictures that Korean news photographers had sent to their bureaus in Seoul, and they showed soldiers beating students and lining them up stripped down to their underpants. And the Korean news people were handling the photos like hot potatoes to publish pictures of soldiers beating civilians could provoke strong reactions from the military. And indeed, we were under martial law at the time. So they saw those photos as a real risk. Meanwhile, reports reaching Seoul said that 100,000 people had participated in Tuesday's demos in Gwangju and that four police had been <coughs> killed. So by then, by then, I knew that I needed to go to Gwangju too. But meanwhile, the cabinet had all resigned, and I had to file a story on that first. So I was lucky after that, uh, I was able to catch a ride down with the Reuters staff. So we arrived in Gwangju on May 21st, Wednesday, and as, as we drove into the city, we were shocked to see a city bus that had been commandeered by protesters, slogans painted all over it, people wearing headbands and waving banners, and one even waving a rifle. And that was a big shock. Uh, we, as we drove into town, we were stopped at a roadblock erected by citizens. And while we were stopped there, a girl rushed up to our car, shouting half hysterically, a lot of students were killed. And we didn't know what to think. Later, Norman Thorpe met a doctor at a clinic who told him he would need to visit a hospital to get more visual confirmation of the casualties that had taken place. The people, the crowd that had followed me was still there, asked the people how I could go to Gwangju Christian Hospital. And they said, well, there are no taxis and there's no public transportation. But they flagged down a passing car and somebody opened the back seat and thrust me into the car. And I thought, this, is, this may not be the right thing to be doing because the man sitting in the passenger seat was holding a rifle. <laughs> Strapped on top of the car was a loudspeaker and they were driving around making announcements. And now as we set off in the car, the announcements started again, except these were new announcements. And they said, clear the way, clear the way. We have a foreign reporter here. We're taking him to Christian Hospital. And people turned and looked at me in the car and applauded. One of the young men turned to me and said, too many people have died. Then the man with the microphone started his other announcements again. There are guns at Kwangju Park. Those who want guns go to Kwangju Park. So I had a wild ride with them. I won't go through all the details of that. But eventually we got to the hospital and then we started counting how many people had been killed there and elsewhere. And though it was apparent by the number of hands in the air that there would not be enough time to answer all the questions that night, the three veteran journalists on the panel took multiple questions from the audience. My name is Sam Kim. I work for Bloomberg News. What was your impression? What did you uh, think when you heard that they wrote a song about it and the song is now at the center of all the debate? Actually, I've been approached in the last few days down in Guangzhou by quite a lot of reporters and documentary makers and various people who, who wanted me to talk about that. And I had no idea whatsoever that, that, you know, I thought this was settled history. And here I come, I go to Guangzhou and I discover that 
right-wingers have decided that Yoon Sung-won was a North Korean agent. And not only that, they have used my writing and, and distorted my words to make this case and quoted me by name. Hi, uh, I'm Eva John from French newspaper Liberation. I'm curious, um, how did the Korean press at that time report about those events? And you, as foreign correspondents, um, how free were you to write what you saw and to publish the pictures you were talking about, etc.? The foreign press was not directly affected by that pre-censorship, but when our publications came into Korea, they then had to be censored, and so then our distributor would have to black out, either with paint or black ink, the article that was offensive or cut it out with scissors. I have a, a copy or a photograph of a friend of mine looking at the Asian Wall Street Journal with a gaping hole on the front page, and he says, Norman, I can see right through your story. <laughs> One reason that uh, we're welcome with such uh, you know, warmth when we go to Guangzhou was that uh, they say to this day that the only way the story got out was through the foreign press because of this censorship with which we're all familiar. So we, foreign journalists are, are, are appreciated down there for having gotten the story out. And I'm not just talking about, of course, your story was read all over Asia. I'm not talking about our, my story or Brad's story, but you know, the wires were getting the stories out too. And so that way the world did know. For KoreaFM.net, I'm Chance Dorland.